Well, welcome to uh, Metro Praise Bible Study here. This was a, a Sunday school that I did uh, last two Sundays, a two-parter on biblical evangelism versus bribing people. Now, because we had some sound problems, we had to delete the file. It was not good. And I'm here doing it again right here on my computer at my desk at my house. So all of you who are tuning in and listening to this, God bless you, I love you, I welcome you to just sit back, grab a Bible, uh, go to BibleGateway.com. This will make it real easy for you to keep up on the scriptures. And uh, I wish you were in front of me, it would be a lot more fun, but uh, I'm doing this right now at 1.30 in the morning. Those of you who know I like to stay up late, these are some of the things that I like to do. Well, let's open up in prayer and let us get into this lesson Biblical evangelism versus bribing people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love, your grace to everyone that calls on your name. God, I thank you for forgiveness, not only for my sins, but for the sins of the world. When they call upon you, you forgive and you restore and you bring into a right relationship with you. And I thank you today, Father, that through Jesus Christ we can have a great relationship with you. We can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I just welcome you here today, Holy Spirit. Speak to my heart. Help me to speak these words to those that are listening. And those that are listening, let it come with your presence and power. And let it be confirmed by the very written word, O Holy Spirit. We just welcome you in this time of teaching. Glorify Jesus. Glorify the Father in us. And let us learn the difference between doing it your way, doing it the way that Jesus did it, and doing it the way of the world. Help us to learn the difference. In Jesus' name, in his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. All right, well, let's get into this. This is uh, biblical evangelism versus bribing people. And I want to start off here with a scripture from Mark chapter 6 verse 8 and it says take nothing for the journey except a staff no bread no bag no money in your belts so take nothing for the journey except a staff don't take any bread don't take any bags no money in your belts now I want you to think this with me think through this with me today as we're thinking about uh, biblical evangelism is that how we do evangelism today is that how most people do evangelism? Is it by uh, simply just going out by faith, nothing on them, just going out and preaching the gospel? Or do we see that evangelism has become what I like to call now a carnival? And I'm reminded of this story about a young man named James who used to work with me in New Orleans. And uh, we were doing the Mardi Gras. By the way, I've been to 10 Mardi Gras. And over the last 13 years of Christianity, I've evangelized thousands of times, uh, hundreds of crusades. So this is coming from the heart of a real soul winner. Uh, I love evangelism. Uh, but anyways, I was thinking of this story with uh, James as we were out at Mardi Gras one year, and I was in charge of creative ministries. My job was to help my friend Wayne get the most bang for his buck. When we were out on Mardi Gras streets and Bourbon Street and all these other streets, what could we do to stop people to get them to hear about Jesus? That was my job, and it was called creative ministries. Well, one of the ministries that we came up with was called Basketball for Jesus. Now, let me tell you how this would work. We would take out a Nerf basketball 
basketball goal, put it on the street there, and then we would uh, tell the people, hey, stop, and if you can make three shots, we'll give you $20. Now, we tried to do it for free at first, but nobody would do it, so we ended up having to show them how real we were by actually charging them a dollar. So we would hold up these signs, uh, basketball for Jesus, win $20. If you give $1 and make three shots, you'll win $20. And we started having a ton of people just respond to this and most of the time they would miss on the first or second shot uh, hence uh, Mardi Gras drunkenness etc and uh, they would miss and we would come up to them with this real quick cliche we would say you lost the game but you can win at the game of life can we tell you about Jesus and I remember one day James was in charge of that ministry and it was my job to come to him and collect the money and see how everything went and I remember walking up to him going hey James how did it go how was basketball for Jesus today and I remember these words and I'll never forget him he looked at me and he said man i just feel like a carny i wish i could have witnessed today and uh, i was uh trying to figure out man what did he mean by that and i started to think oh carnival you know they call these people who work at carnivals carnies and uh, what he was saying was man he just was so busy into getting the dollar from the person making sure they stood behind the line calling them over uh you know collecting the money that he got so distracted by doing those things that he actually couldn't preach the gospel and he was saying to me man i wish i could have actually just gone witnessing and i want to confess to you today everybody listening to me those that know i love jesus and know that our ministry metro praise is about winning souls i want you to hear me today man i feel like a carny i just want to win souls when i began to feel this way um I just started looking back over our ministries, and I just started saying, Lord, why am I the barbecue pastor? You know, why is it every time I go out and preach, I got a barbecue or give away a hot dog? And I started to search into the scriptures, and if you know me, I love the Word of God, and I just go right to the principles that are found in the Word. And I went, I went through every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, and I researched every single time they preached and ministered. And I want to tell you something, I didn't find it one time. They never put anything before the message. And as a matter of fact, I went and looked in the Gospels. What was the first time Jesus uh, taught his disciples to go evangelizing? Now, the word evangelize in Greek is evangeliso. It means to preach the gospel. It means to uh, teach others about Jesus. And so what was the first time uh, Jesus told his disciples to go out and preach the gospel? Well, it's found in uh, three of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is what he says. Now, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6, and I want you just to see how simply Jesus tells his first disciples, the very first time they go out and preach, what they need to do. Now, uh, just start out in verse 7, and it says, Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Okay, so what does he do? He calls twelve unto them, he sends them two by two. So it's a principle to go out in two by two. Okay, and he says, these were, uh, says, these were the, his instructions. Now, this is God's instructions to his disciples. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is what Jesus says. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. 
Now, the first thing he teaches them is the principle is you're not going to bring anything with you. And this is for two reasons. You're not going to bribe anybody with the things you have. And then number two, you're not going to provide for yourself. When you go out preaching, other people are going to actually provide for you. So think about how opposite this is. Instead of us bringing the hot dogs and everything out with us, we're supposed to come out with nothing. And if the the people receive our message, they're going to feed us. Now, let me just say this. I understand in this context, this was... uh, uh, a prelude to Matthew 28 to them being sent out into the whole world because in, in one part in Luke he says you know don't go to the Gentiles and in another place he says don't say hi to anybody on your journey etc etc but what we got to understand is what Jesus is doing here is he's mentoring them in evangelism so he's still on the earth he hasn't gone back to heaven and this is their first time preaching and he's like okay this is what I'm going to do I'm going to give you the basic idea this is this is how you're going to do it every time then I'm going to give you some instructions that you know you may not do every time like for example when he says to them uh you know, don't greet anybody on the road. Well, that was only specifically for this time. Uh, while, you know, he was training them, he didn't want them to get distracted and go, you know, uh, go do things that they weren't supposed to. Another thing he says, only go to the Gentiles. Well, we know eventually in Matthew 28, he says, go into the whole world. Okay, now knowing the context of this, this is Jesus mentoring them. It would be like, you know, um, uh, a football coach saying, hey, look, we're just going to practice on the 20-yard line, you know. Don't go all the way down to the end zone. Just stay right here. Well, that doesn't mean eventually you don't want to go down to the end zone if you're running the ball. It's just saying we're going to practice in this part of the field, and that's what Jesus is saying. But the example still remains. The principle is take nothing with you. And we read all throughout the book of Acts that they never did take anything with them, just skipping ahead uh, to Acts Uh, chapter 3 verse 6 what happens when the disciples are first uh, by themselves Jesus has gone back to heaven and they're there going on their way to the temple and a man looks at them he's begging by the temple called beautiful I'm looking at Acts 3 3 when when he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money Peter looked straight at him as did John then Peter said look at us so the man gave his attention expecting to get something from them Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. Now, what we see right there is the exact uh, instruction being followed. Now, do I think Peter and John at least had a couple dollars tucked away somewhere? Yes. But when they were going out, when they were doing the ministry, they were still following Jesus' principle. They weren't bringing anything with them, and they certainly weren't bringing anything with them to bribe people with the gospel. Okay, now going back to the uh, the scripture in Mark, let's just keep going. Mark chapter 6, we're just learning here about how Jesus sent out his disciples. He says in verse 8 of Mark chapter 6, these were instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Wherever you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. And when you leave, as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay, so what was the basic principle? They go out two by two. 
They have authority to do signs and wonders. They're not to take these things with them, and they're, they're to go and to preach the gospel basically house to house or from uh, you know uh, courtyard to courtyard. And if people welcome them into their homes, if they want to sit down and listen to them, then they are to receive the food and, and blessing from those people. And if they don't want to receive them into their house or they won't feed them or they just don't even want to listen to the gospel, what are they told to do? Shake off the dust and move to the next part of town. Now, my friends, let's ask ourselves a question. Is this the form of evangelism that we've been seeing in America? I mean, I'm going to put myself out there first. Is this what I've been doing for the last few years at Metro Praise Chicago and for over 10 years in my ministry in New Orleans and at different parts of this country? No, it's not. Let's just be honest. I'll be honest. No, it's not. Let me give you some of the things that I've done just in uh, Chicago here in the last three years. This is how we've done evangelism. Free video game tournament with $50 gift card for winner. Free cookout and concert with $50 Walmart giveaway card. Free three-on-three basketball tournament with $300 grand prize for the winning team, and there was two winning teams. Free rock concert with non-Christian bands and Christian bands, because we won't let the non-Christian bands bring their non-Christian friends, and we're going to slip in the Christian music. Uh, free Halloween play with candy. You know these plays. You're going to dress up like the devil, have somebody be Jesus, heaven, hell. Here we go. Uh, number six, free bowling, laser tag, and putt-putting trips. Free rap concert with free food and face painting at Puerto Rican Festival. This was our Chicago outreach big thing we did. We went to the Boricua Fest and we preached the gospel out there, gave away the free arroz con candules, the rice, the Spanish rice, and face painting for the children. You guys get the point. You've seen these type of things before. Uh, number eight, free food, $50 giveaway and children's game at Ohio Park. These are the things we've done in Ohio Park with our Adopt-A-Block. We always go out there, free food, give away $50 gift cards to Walmart, play children's games. Uh, number nine, we've done a free car wash with free food. That was a lot of work. And uh, number ten, here was the kicker, free youth concert with $50 gift card for bringing the most friends, dance team, video games, basketball with free food, and Pastor Joe willing to shave his head for 150 people in attendance. Now, does that sound like uh, what Jesus said? Did I bring a little bit more than a, than a bag or some bread? Come on now. We're talking about truckloads of stuff just to go out and do ministry. This is what I'm talking about, my friends. Now, the first thing is I want to say is my, that my motives were pure. So I had the right motives, and my motives were I love Jesus, and Jesus loves people. So I've got to love people where they are. And if teenagers love in basketball, then you know what? I'm going to love them on a basketball court. And just like going back to that Mardi Gras example, my friend and I, we would sit down. We would say, anything other than sinning and compromise, let's do something to bring in lost souls. Let's do whatever we can. I remember setting up a, you know, a, a funeral casket in the middle of uh, Bourbon Street, and we would have people come by and take their pictures, and it would, hey, here's a dollar. Take, I mean, here's a, a casket. Take a picture in here for a dollar. You know, a little Polaroid camera. They would do it with their girlfriend, their friends, ah, you know, a little beer can, whatever. And then when the Polaroid uh, picture would come out, we would write on the white part, where would you go when you die, you know. And, wow, that's slick. That might get some of you like, oh, I want to try that. But I want to ask you a question. Is that the way Jesus did it? Is that the way Jesus won souls? 
Did Jesus tell his disciples, hey, guys, I'll tell you what, man, gather up a whole bunch of people. Tell them that I'm going to feed them. Tell them that I'm going to give them a free pony. Tell them that I'm going to give their children free school supplies. And then I'll tell you what, I'll meet you on this mountain, and then I'll give them the Beatitudes. No, that's not what Jesus did. Now, listen to me. My motives were pure. But number two, I didn't think through this. As I am right now, I didn't spend time thinking through, man, what's going to happen if I keep doing this for 10 years? You know what? When I first got saved, I was just following the flow what everybody else was teaching me. I mean, I remember being in Bible college and them sending us out to the projects to do uh, tent crusades. And, man, you would go out there and you would say, dude, we're going to go have a tent crusade. You need to come out here, man. We're going to lay hands on the sick. And the people would just look at you like, what? What are you going to do? What? But when we'd come out there, we would say, look, man, we're going to have hot dogs. Man, we're going to give away a bicycle. Man, I'll tell you what, the whole project would show up. And then we would say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Woo! We got the Holy Ghost. We got 300 people out here today. And then, you know what? We would really preach the gospel. We really would give it to them. But you know how I liken this to? I liken this to the old term they call in advertising, bait and switch. Now, I was just in the airport the other day, and I was, uh, you know, walking down uh, to find my uh, corridor for the flight, you know, to find the place where I need to be. And I'm walking by, and I can just hear this guy shouting out, free T-shirts, get your free T-shirts. Here's a free T-shirt for you. It's all free. Everything I have on this table, free, free, free. And I thought to myself, now, did this man really come out here today just to give away something for free? You know he didn't. What he was doing was signing up people for credit cards. And so, oh, yes, he was willing to give you that three $3 T-shirt or $2 coffee mug. But what was he wanting to do? He was wanting to get you and me to, you know, the people there to get on a credit card and to get charged 19% interest for the rest of our lives and what we would spend there so we would be more uh, then able to pay them back for what they were given to us. So you know what that's called? That's called bait and switch. And it's it's like the person that uh, comes over to your house or rather invites you over to their house. And they said, hey, I just want to cook a dinner for you and your wife. You know, come on over. And all of a sudden you're over there and the dinner's good. And then they just pull out this chart. And they're going to show you how with $150 plus supplies in three months, you can be making $100,000 a, a year. And it's that easy. Well, that's what we're doing, isn't it? Isn't that what, what all those things just sounded like? I go out to Humble Park here, a place where all the kids are at. Free basketball tournament. You can win $300. There's going to be so much there. And you know what? When they come, what do I do? Well, before we start the tournament, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to ask you to receive Jesus. You know, I'm just reminded of the look on people's faces when I did those things. You know what? It's, it's, it's not a surprise that many years later I don't see much fruit from those things because I could just remember those looks on those people's faces, and they're just like, what? <laughs> You're going to pray? And, you know, the real polite ones would just be like, okay, dude, pray and get it over with because i got to get out there. But the other ones would just be like, oh, my gosh. You could just see the look on their face. They want to get upset and curse me out. But what would they do? They would just endure, you know, that part of the service so that they could get out there and play basketball. Well, then, you know, what we begin to do is we begin to devise these plans, like how can we do this but really get the greatest impact? So we would start to do things like, you know, if we're going to do an outreach and it's going to involve food and, food and giveaway, well, then that means you give the food and giveaway 
the thing that you're giving away after you preach. So you have everybody come, you have them get their tickets, and then after you preach, then you do the drawing. Then you give the food. That way you know that they had to stay there. And you could just see people going through these, these services just not wanting it at all. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, it's funny, just being here by myself doing this at 1.30 or 1.50 now in the morning. This is kind of like my confessional, so I hope you enjoy this. Um, man, I'm just reminded of this, the first outreach I did here in Chicago. Uh, we did the, you know, the rap concert, the band came out, the free food. Uh, did a, a video game tournament for the kids, uh, brought some, um, you know, just Spanish speakers out there to pray for the people in Spanish. And I remember we were giving away a $50 gift card to Walmart. And we started that day around 1 o'clock. And we had, you know, gone out flying, telling everybody, hey, we're going to give away these things. And I remember somebody coming right around the very start of the thing because, you know, we went out early in flyer. They were there at 1. And literally, they waited for four hours, four or five hours, just to wait for that one ticket to be called. And I could just tell it was hot out. They were not enjoying themselves. They didn't even give a rip or a flip about the gospel. I was about going ready to preach to them. They were waiting for that ticket. And I look back on that, and I just say, you know what? That was wrong. It was wrong to do that to somebody. Why didn't I just tell them, Jesus loves you, thank you for coming, can I get you, uh, you know, something to serve you with, and then God bless you, go home. You know, why did I have to keep them there to manipulate them? Jesus never did that. The disciples never did that. Jesus said, take nothing, no bread, don't bring any of that stuff with you, no money. It's like when my wife goes out witnessing at Mardi Gras, she leaves her purse at home. You know, Jesus was saying, do that all the time. So to give you some uh, ideas of why I did what I did, let me give you an example of of how good people can get off track here. Here's a little thing that I came up with, and then I'm going to really delve into some scripture. I have about 100 verses to read, so we're just getting to the introduction, getting through the introduction right now. So I've got a bunch of verses to read, but I just want to tell you where I'm coming from. I love people. I know that there's others that are going to continue to do these things. And you know what's so funny is that when I talk to them now and I explain to them what I'm doing and how I'm changing, they, 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 they think that, like, for some reason, like, I did it all wrong, you know. Because they say to me, man, I do it, but I really preach, Joe. You know, you can do both, you know. And, and you know what? Maybe you, you just, you know, you were doing it with the wrong heart. They have no idea. If anybody knows me, they know, man, I would pray and fast for those basketball tournaments and if you have ever heard me preach you would know that i bring the fire in jesus name i'm talking man you want to talk about that look on people's face within 30 seconds of them coming to the basketball tournament their little nikes their little you know shirt uh, basketball shirt and jersey on within 30 seconds i was talking about hell fire and where they would go and they would die and and man at the end of the day i would count those altar call uh you know uh, papers and I would cry over them and I would say, God, bring them back, bring them back, bring them back. Listen to me. If there was anybody who used that and tried with everything they had to do it for God's glory, it was me. So please, if you're listening to me, don't try to qualify yourself and defend yourself. Well, I do it differently, this and this. And, and, and here's what I'm saying also. I'm not going to judge anybody. I just want to share this with everybody, and I really believe if you're honest, 
you won't do it the same anymore. And I, I'm not going to judge you if you do or you don't. But listen, you, if you just give your heart to this like I did, and you truly, truly love souls, I don't think you can keep on doing it. Well, here's how we get off track. Here's a little thing that I wrote. And I got some slides if you want these for your own personal notes. I can send these to you. Here's how good people get off track. Let me give you a biblical mandate for winning souls. It's, all, it's found throughout the Bible, Mark 16, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It's seen in the life of Jesus and the apostles. Here's how I would sum it up. We love Jesus. Jesus loves the lost. Therefore, we love the lost. Right? Wouldn't you say that's how we get to the point of loving the lost? The vision of Metro Praise is loving God, loving people, two greatest commandments. Okay, so we love Jesus. We start with God. I had no heart for God, but then God saved me, gave me a heart for himself. Then I realized that Jesus loves the lost, and these people I didn't used to care about before, they were just way, you know, people getting in the way of my going to and from, you know, my house. They were the people getting, you know, people are what we looked at, I looked at in the world like a nuisance. They would be in the traffic jams. They would be, uh, you know, the people in line at the grocery store. I didn't look at people in a sense of compassion, but I love Jesus. Now I see Jesus loves these people. I can't look at these people in traffic the same anymore. I can't go to the grocery store and look at people the same anymore. So what happens, therefore, I love the lost. I love Jesus. Jesus loves the lost. Therefore, we love the lost. But now watch. We love the lost. Lost people need Jesus. So what do we do? We bring them Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? That's the way it's supposed to be. This is called biblical evangelism. Doing evangelism according to the pattern of the Bible. I love Jesus. Jesus loves the lost. I'm going to love Jesus. I love the lost. The lost need Jesus. What am I going to do? I'm going to bring them Jesus. Okay? There's my purpose, especially as a pastor. But look at what happens when we get away from that. And it's just a slight variation. But it, quick, it quickly becomes bribing. We love Jesus. Starts off the same. Jesus loves the lost. Therefore, we love the lost. Okay, everything's the same. Now, this part stays the same for just a moment, but then it changes. We love the lost. The lost people love the world. We use the world to bring the lost Jesus. You see where it changes that quick? Yes, we love the lost, but what do the lost love? They love the world. What do they make idols out of sports, entertainment, money? And what begins to happen? We begin to use the world to bring the lost Jesus because they love the world. We think, man, since they love the world, they love basketball, they love food, they love concerts, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the things they love and I'm going to use that to bring them Jesus. And that is bribing people. Jesus is Jesus and he's enough. Jesus is not a concert. Jesus is not um, a food. Jesus is none of those earthly things. Jesus is God, and Jesus is enough. Let me give you some uh, comparisons here between biblical evangelism and bribing people. Number one, biblical evangelism only does what the Bible teaches, but bribing people does whatever brings in the most people. So you know what biblical evangelism is going to do? You know what we're going to learn today? We're just going to do what Jesus did. Now, somebody might say, well, did Jesus have a car? So I'm not going to have a car if Jesus didn't have a car. Well, let's be honest. Did Jesus have transportation? Sure. Well, let's use transportation. But that doesn't mean that we now have to give away a free pony, okay? Now, if Jesus would hear, would he use a computer? Probably would because, you know, Jesus used the, the things of his world. I'm not talking about being legalistic here. I'm just talking about looking for principles in the Bible. I mean, if Jesus gave away 
uh, little statues of uh, cabbage patch dolls in, you know, 2,000 years ago, then I would say, oh, okay, well, that doesn't mean I have to give away cabbage patch dolls, and maybe I could give away Barbie dolls, okay? You see, the principle would be the same, but what we find out is that Jesus never gave away anything as a bribe to hear the gospel. So there's no comparison to that in the in the New Testament, or I mean, in the time that I'm living now from the New Testament, we have no comparison. So I'm only going to do what Jesus does. Will you right now, just as we're beginning this lesson, will you dedicate in your heart, say right now to Jesus, Jesus, teach me how to evangelize, and I will only do it the way you did it. Amen. Let's do that. Okay, so biblical evangelism only does what the Bible teaches. Bribing people does whatever brings in the most people. Well, if I do this and that and have a basketball tournament and do, uh, you know, pictures with, um, you know, the, in, in the casket, I can get in more people. Well, that's bribing people. Number two, basic evangelism makes Jesus the center of the message. So Jesus is the center of the message. But bribing people makes man the center of the message. So instead of telling people, hey, you need to repent because Jesus commanded you, and if you love him, you'll keep his commands. Now what we're telling people is that you need to repent so you can go to heaven. You can have a brand new home and, uh, you know, a new mansion in the sky. God will heal you, heal you, and he'll just do all these things for you. You'll never be, you know, you'll never be poor again. You'll never have a bad day in your life. Now we know, of course, this is not the gospel of the New Testament because Paul got crucified, or got beheaded, rather, and Peter got crucified. We know that John got boiled alive, and, and we know that the gospel actually cost them something. You know, uh, the Chinese Christian today is not saying, oh, yeah, the gospel has given me uh, the American dream. No, they're actually saying, you know, I had a pretty good job until I became a Christian. They found out and persecuted me and, and abused me and took away my family. You see, the difference is the biblical evangelism says, says this is all about Jesus. And everything around you can fall apart, but Jesus is going to be all you need. But the bribing people makes man the center of the gospel. Number three, biblical evangelism costs nothing and requires no event planning. But bribing people costs a lot of money and requires intensive planning. You remember that list I was just reading to you before what Metro Praise did? We have spent over $10,000 on those things. And you know how much uh, time we've spent working and working and organizing and this and that? And I want to tell you something. Out of my church of 40 leaders, now we have a church of about 100 people, but I'm talking about in our discipleship program, some of them have already graduated. They're deacons and elders and they're, they're leaders and they're disciples and they've been with us for some amount of time. You know that all the people that I had, and I've done this class with only two of them are a result of our uh, thousands of dollars we spend all of the intensive planning can you believe that that means like 98 percent came through just simple evangelism somebody invited them to church or they were out and we preached the gospel to them but it was you know it wasn't with our money and our fancy event it was just us going out street witnessing because we do we have done that uh, still in the midst of all the other things we would still go out you know just evangelizing just go preaching go knocking on doors stand on the corner that actually brought in more uh, people that became disciples now of course the other way had hundreds and maybe thousands of uh, you know uh, attendees and a lot of people accepting christ but but uh, only two becoming a part of the church and and uh, it costs us lots of money and intensive planning so not only does it not work it's not fruitful now somebody might say well pastor joe well it works for me well i want to judge that fruit 
I want to look at the fruit. The Bible says I can look at their fruit. I can't judge their heart. I can't judge what, you know, what, what, what a pastor does in, in his method. I'm not here. The Bible says not to judge another man's servant. But I can judge fruit. The Bible says, uh, you, know, you know, know those that labor among you. And it also says to you'll know them by their fruit. So I would like to see a ministry that really says that they've uh, been successful at using events to build their ministry, I, I would really highly doubt it because in my 13 years uh, of doing it, if even they are saved, I would really question their maturity. Now, once again, it may even work. Let's say it even works. To me, it's still not the biblical way. But let's go on to number four. Biblical evangelism counts disciples to determine success, but bribing people only counts attendees. Come on. What would we do? We would count. How many do we have? How many do we have? How many do we have? Well, how about disciples? Well, at the end of Jesus' life, I guess he wasn't too successful then, was he? He had 120 disciples. You know why? Because he counted disciples as his success. And when people followed after him for food, somebody might say, well, Jesus fed the 5,000. Yeah, but that was after he preached to them for three days. And he certainly didn't tell them that he was going to feed them because he was just kind of like, man, we can't send them away now. Let's just give them some these. So they weren't expecting anything. So that would be like me saying to you, come to my church, preach to you three days straight, and then taking care of you. But listen to me. When they came back the next day and they said, hey, Jesus, we want something to eat now. We, we're kind of liking how you're doing this. You, you preach, we eat. Jesus said, man, you, you came for the wrong reasons. You better eat my flesh and drink my blood. He purposely offended them to see beyond their own carnal, fleshly nature, to see the spiritual principles that he was teaching them. Oh, but what would we do today? We would do the exact opposite. Oh, man, they're coming back for the food. Well, let's get the food program going. Let's get it going. Come on, come on, come on. You know, and I remember starting my church in the inner city. It's how it was in New Orleans. Man, if they would come for food, then we're going to have a dinner after every service. Now, I know some people might just be like, well, man, you know, I, Joe, you, you just did too much. You know, I, I don't believe in all that. Well, let me ask you, what have, what have you done? <laughs> you know? Some of you might not have done anything for the Lord. At least I was out there doing something for Jesus. Praise God. I mean, we got people saved. and Yeah, there was a lot of good done, but some of you didn't do anything for God. So if you're on this, I haven't done anything for God tip, and you're just thinking, well, you just did it all wrong. Well, you don't even understand what it's like to be out there. I have seriously been out here for over 10 years trying to win souls the best way I've known how. And I really believe this is a great revelation, and it's going to help us, and it is helping us, and that's why I'm taking time to do this, not because I just want to, uh, you know, do this because I want to hear myself talk. No, I'm putting this out because I really, really want to give people what I've learned over 10 years of evangelism. You better count disciples at the end of that outreach and not just those who attended. Now let's go on to the last one, number five of the comparison Biblical evangelism only needs Jesus, but bribing people needs Jesus plus a bribe. Let me ask you a question. Some of you are listening to me, and you would say, well, Pastor, you know, I use these things, but I look at it differently, and I think maybe you have the wrong heart, and you were, you know, you were bribing people. I never would call it bribing. I'm just loving them, etc. Well, let me ask you a question. How many people would come to your event if you took away all the other things except Jesus? How many people would come to your church event? Those of you who are going to other churches and you do these uh, festivals, back-to-school parties, plays, etc. What if you just did an event that says we're going to worship Jesus? 
We're going to worship Jesus. What if you ask those same people to come over to your church just to learn about Jesus? How many would come? Let's be honest, it would be a lot less than you're seeing now, and that's the reason why these methods keep getting employed. But in America, where we do this the most, the Christian church is dying. The cults are passing us up, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, the Nation of Islam. Islam itself, the world religion Islam, is growing faster in America. All these religions are passing up Christianity. Why? Because uh, for the most part, they don't employ any of those bribes. They don't employ any of those things. When they get someone to visit their uh, church, it is because they, like a Jehovah Witness, it's because they've knocked on their door and said, I've come to teach you Jehovah's kingdom. I haven't get, come to give you face painting, a free pony, uh, a trip to great America. And, uh, you know, I heard my friend, he, he was a youth pastor, and he had a luau, and he brought uh, a live pig to roast it. You know, it's not like Jesus was saying, uh, the Jehovah Witnesses are saying, come to our church because we have a luau, you know, or another youth pastor. I think youth pastors are the ones that usually do these things a whole lot. And uh, this other youth pastor had a bull, a mechanical bull in his service. Hey, come and see the mechanical bull in my service, you know. No, the Jehovah Witnesses are showing up going, this is Jehovah's kingdom. You better get right. You better come to my church. My, my, uh, watch, you better stay the watchtower in my kingdom hall with me. Well, are you ready now to get into some scripture? Do you get the introduction? Do you understand why today Joe Y. Rossick, the pastor of Metro Praise, is talking to you? I'm talking to you because I'm tired of bribing people. I'm tired of the carnival. I'm tired of doing things that take the attention off Jesus. I'm ready to do biblical evangelism. I only want to do what I saw Jesus do and read about the apostles doing. That's all I want to do. I want to know that I know that I know I'm doing what they did, and I want to follow the Holy Spirit today. I want to go deeper than just this worldly method of bait and switch. I want to get something in, in my ministry, in evangelism. Come on, somebody. I'm feeling Jesus right now. Something that can't be come, come up with, with all the marketing schemes in the whole world. I want demons to be cast out. I want the sick to be healed, dead to be raised. Are you with me? Are you ready for some biblical evangelism and some teaching on how to do this right. Well, let's go to some of the scriptures right now that we look to to do the things of the past. And let's clarify them now because if we realize where we've gone wrong, we can uh, get back on track. So I'm going to start off with Matthew 25, which was one of my favorite scriptures about how we have to do unto the least of these as we do unto Jesus. Now, this is what I would use to go out and to do all of these things. Now, once again, why am I giving you these scriptures right now? Because I want you to see that what we've been using for biblical evangelism actually has nothing to do with evangelism. And then I'm going to just show you plain and simply what it is. So let's just keep clarifying some of the things of what it's not and then some of the things that we've used to say what it is. And it's really not that. Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, it talks about Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. And he says to the ones on his right who are sheep, he says, Come, you are blessed of my Father, verse 34. Take your inheritance and the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now look what he says, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Okay? So we're supposed to give him something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Now look at this, verse 37, the righteous who are known as the sheeps here, and this is on Judgment Day, 
will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You notice the key right there, brothers of mine. Do you know that I've been using this scripture to say, well, that means I've got to go out here and feed the homeless guy. I've got to go show up here, and I've got to do this, man, because if I don't do this, then I'm not doing it unto Jesus because the next group he talks to are the goats, and he says, y'all didn't do this, and you didn't do it unto me, and I'm going to send you into hell fire. Well, I want you to see what brothers really means here. Turn with me to Mark 3, verse 33, and let's find out who does Jesus consider his brothers. Mark 3, 33. Now, just start up here in verse 31, because it says, Then Jesus' mothers and, a mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now Jesus in verse 33 says, who, are my brother, who is my mother and my brother, he asked. And he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So who is Jesus' brother? Is it the crack addict in the adopt-a-block that I'm trying to get to hear the gospel by giving him something to eat? Is that being done unto Jesus? Oh, come on, I think somebody's getting a revelation right now. That's not being considered done unto Jesus. Now, at the end of this lesson, I'm going to talk about how we can still do good things for poor people and charitable giving. And I believe that's under the uh, example of the Good Samaritan. You know, the Good Samaritan didn't ask the guy, hey, are you a Christian? You know, I'm only going to help out Christians here. And we're going to talk about just random acts of kindness, you know, just being kind for kindness sake because the Lord commanded us. We're going to talk about doing good to even our enemies. But listen, this right here was an example I used. It, it was an example. I use for biblical evangelism. Is this biblical evangelism? Number one, does it say anything about this is how you're going to win a soul? You're going to feed them, give them something to eat, bring them in. Come on, somebody. It doesn't say anything about soul winning. And number two, in its context, and yes, I believe there's context of helping poor people in general, helping the world, helping enemies, even people who aren't Christians. Do I believe there's scriptures for that? Yes, but in this context, who is the least of these his brothers? Who are those people? You know who they are? They are Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who don't have anything, Christians who are suffering in life. The Bible is saying when we take care of them, we're doing it unto God. Now, the time of the New Testament, this would be very real to them because they're understanding that Jewish people were being persecuted. And then here in Jesus' prophecies, they would understand. This is Matthew 25 and Matthew 24. Jesus was prophesying that they're going to be hated by all nations. They were going to be persecuted. And then now in 25, that's connected to 25. He's saying, man, when you take care of these people who come in my name, you will be, it will be like doing it unto me, you will be blessed. Now, I want you to listen to what John Gill said. And I was looking at some commentaries, and I wanted to see, am I the only one that's seen it this way, or have I missed it? And I realized I missed it. This is not an example of biblical evangelism. Number one, it has nothing to do with evangelism. And number two, these are not lost people. He's doing this or referring this to. It's his 
disciples. Look at John Gill uh, commenting on this. He says, nor in so large a sense as to include all in human nature, but the saints only, the children of God and household of faith. For though acts of charity and humanity are to be done to all men, yet especially to these, and indeed these only can be considered as the brethren of Christ. Only these can be considered his brethren. Let's keep going. Who are born of God and who do the will of Christ, for such he accounts his mother, brethren, and sisters. And we who are not only of the same human nature, but in the same covenant with him and the sons of God. You know what I began to realize very quickly? That this scripture that I thought defined biblical evangelism really had nothing to do with the lost. It really had to do with the way I treated the body of Christ, the way I treat uh, the Chinese Christian. Am I willing to send money to them so that they can have Bibles? Am I willing to help out others? And you know what? This smacked me so hard, and I had to repent before God. You know why? I spent tens of thousands of dollars on outreaches, and I can probably only account for maybe a few hundred dollars I've given to people in our body who had need. Think about the young lady that I sponsored to go to college. You know how much I gave her? She came from a a rough home, a terrible background. I gave her $25 a month. Do you know that on average I would spend $250 to $300 a month on these type of outreaches? We didn't go out one time to the park uh, this every Saturday this year, this summer, without bringing hot dogs and free games and prizes. I could have sponsored a young girl, a girl who has parents on drugs but gave her heart to Christ and is in Bible college. I could have supported her with $250, and the Bible says, I would have done it unto Christ. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You see, not only by doing it the wrong way was I doing something wrong and wasting time, I was also not benefiting from doing it the right way. People were not being taken care of as doing it the right way. Well, let's go on to another scripture that's used just to blanket uh, let's, let's, us going out and just giving tons of stuff away. Go to Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 32. And let's look into how we're to give now just to ev- anybody and everybody. Let's look and see if there's maybe a context of this and something that might be able to help us out. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 6. Just start in verse, uh, rather Luke 6, Luke chapter 6. Uh, Let's start in verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, let's just think about that for a minute. Well, you know, I'm supposed to give my tunic away. I'm supposed to, you know, give my cloak away. Someone slaps me on my cheek. I, you know, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. Anybody who asks of me, you know, I'm supposed to do what they say. Well, let's take this just in context right now of all the uh, disciples and Jesus and all the times they preached the gospel. Did they always do what people asked them to do? Well, take, for example, there was one man that tried to buy the Holy Ghost. Did they give him the Holy Ghost because he wanted to buy it? No, they ended up cursing him and saying, may you perish along with your money. 
Okay, well, so there must be some type of uh, context here of what it's talking about. But let's just go through a few more. Um, another time, somebody asked Jesus to be their king. They said, Jesus, we want you to be our king. Did Jesus just say, okay, I'm going to be your king? No, the Bible says he actually retreated and went away from that town to another town. Uh, we know the scripture in Matthew, it says if someone asks you to go one mile, go another mile. Well, we realize that Jesus was asked by his brothers to go to a festival at a certain time, and Jesus said, I won't go with you. Now, we, we go back to that uh, book of Acts example. The man asked for money, and they said, no, we don't have any. Obviously, they didn't take off their coat and give it to him. Now, I want you to think about this. What context is this? Is this just saying I'm just supposed to be slapped everywhere I go? I'm just supposed to give every time somebody asks me. Somebody asked me for my car today. Hey, I'll just give you my car. You want my wife? I'll give you my wife. You want my house? I'll give you everything. No, you know what this is saying? What this is teaching is the principle of surrendering all to God and filtering what God wants you to do by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, Pastor Joe, I don't see all of that in there. I just see give, give, you know, give it all away. Well, listen to me. Number one, this has nothing to do with evangelism. If, if we want to stay in the subject here, this really has nothing to do with giving to win somebody's soul. And as you're going to see in just a little bit, when you give, you're actually not supposed to expect anything in return. And how often do we do our services and our outreaches and we actually expect something in return? I remember the other day I was at the Adopt-A-Block, and we were doing this big outreach. We had come out there and fed them. We had uh, helped them get their basketball ghosted up because the park was dilapidated. We had some people work with the city. We've done all these things for them, and we're out there. And they're doing now their service. And for the main part of the service, they got these tumblers who are jumping up and down on uh, trampolines, and they're flipping 10 feet up in the air. They're kind of like performers. And we're supposed to come on next, you know. So we've done all this stuff in the community. It's our grand um, you know, or going out uh, party for the summer, you know, it's, it's the big deal. And as it's our turn to start preaching, everybody walks away. You know, they got their food, they got their free prizes, the tumblers had already gone. We, we didn't think through the slick way of getting them to stay longer. And they start to leave by the hundred or two. There's about 150 out there, about a hundred leave. You know what I felt? I felt they owed me something. I was like, man. You owe me something. You know, I was thinking that to myself. Well, you know what? True biblical giving means you don't feel they owe you one thing. And you're not supposed to use those things you're giving them as bribes. And so I learned that there. But going back to this example, give is defined by righteous giving. It's defined by doing what God wants you to do. Let's keep going now to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, you will, then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Well, right here we find out that we're supposed to give without expecting anything, and we're supposed to be kind to even our enemies. And so at the end of this message, I'm going to talk about how we can just be kind to people and not expect anything from them, and also still do biblical evangelism, because this right here was my mantra for going out and doing all these things 
you know, I'm giving to my enemies. These are gangbangers. These are people in the community. They don't love God. They don't love the church. But I'm going to do a basketball t- tournament for them. That's what Jesus told me to do. Well, if I truly wanted to take Jesus' words on this literally, I was supposed to give them everything else they demanded from me. And they, certainly they did. They demanded a lot of things from me when I would be out there. They would want a basketball. They would want the rim. They would want the whole church. And I would just keep telling them, no, 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 I can't give you all of those things. I'm sorry. Uh, but then number two is I realized when Jesus said, when you give, if you just give, don't even expect anything. Don't, don't use this to try to preach to them. This is not his mandate to go out and preach the gospel. This is talking about charitable giving, and it's defined in righteousness, doing the right thing. Well, let's go to one more. Let's go to the ones that deal with the feast and eating together and really having a good time like that. Let's go to Luke chapter 14, around verse 12. Just talking about giving a banquet and inviting the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. And look at how Jesus defines, uh, you know, having a banquet. He says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they'll invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, so what do we learn here? We're supposed to do good things for people we don't even know. But is this to preach the gospel to them? Is Jesus saying when you give a luncheon, then feed them and then preach to them? When you give a luncheon, feed them good food and then hold them in your meeting for an hour and a half. No, what is this saying? This is saying literally what it's saying. When you have a dinner at your house, when you're at your home and you're saying, I'm going to have a birthday party. Don't just invite Gary and your friends. Go down the road and find that homeless guy and say, hey, dude, you want to come over to my house? And when he comes over, be kind to him, just like you would want that person that cares about Avon so much to be kind to you. If someone invited you over for dinner and said, hey, I'm I'm glad you came here, but, you know, here, this is the real reason why I brought you here. I'm going to talk to you about Avon now for the next two hours. I mean, come on, would you even want to go back there? Wouldn't you feel, like, offended? And imagine if you were poor and you really didn't have any food and you had to go through that every time you wanted to get something to eat. Man, i got to sit here and listen to Avon seminars for two hours just to give myself a hot dog. And I'm sitting here laughing because I can't imagine how many times we've done this and what people are thinking. You know, they're thinking to themselves, man, you told me I'm coming here for a basketball tournament. You told me I came here to win a free gift card to have a barbecue. And now you have these speakers about the size of houses pointed at me, preaching to me for the next half hour. And that's a whole other thing. Who gave us the right uh, just to show up with our loudspeakers and announce to the whole neighborhood what we believe is true about the gospel? Now, listen to me. I believe it's true, and I thank God for freedom of speech, and I don't, uh, don't want to say we can't do that. But how would you like uh, a Satanist today to go into your local park and start handing out you know, free hamburgers and then with loudspeakers telling the people and everyone who could hear them in the whole part of that city for an hour and a half about how they need to love Satan. Well, that's the same law that affords us the right and the ability to do that. It's the same thing that would afford them to do that. What makes us think we're any different in the judicial sense or in the sense of being an American? It doesn't make it any different. So I'm really asking you with me to consider what we're, what we're doing to people here. 
If we're going to preach to them, why don't we preach to the ones who actually want to hear? Let's not, you know, do what I used to do. You know, there's a house over here. They're not listening. Well, we'll crank up the speakers, brother, and point it towards them. No. Why not have no speakers? Let's do what Jesus did. Let's go to the most abandoned part of the country. Let's go into the wilderness. Let's go over a lake in a boat, you know, and let's see who follows us. You know, as you begin to read these stories of how Jesus preached the gospel, he actually did it kind of opposite of how we're doing it. Now, yes, he seeked and wanted to save the lost. He came after them, but he didn't get into this bribing thing. Once he saw people were chasing after him for the wrong reasons, he would go away to desolate places and and really test and and, and challenge their faith. And so what we're learning here is that this feast, number one, has nothing to do with evangelism. This feast I'm supposed to be having for the poor and the lame is really just my barbecue at my house. It's not even a church dinner. This is a barbecue at my house, and I'm supposed to make my neighbors feel welcome, and I'm not supposed to then offend them with the gospel beyond what they want to hear. You know, Now, I know the gospel offends, and I don't care if it offends people. I'm going to preach it, but I'm just saying I ought not to trick people to hear it. Now, if it, you know, if it comes up, and obviously it's my life, and it is going to come up, and I do care about them, etc. But you know, the moment I see that they're uncomfortable, or I, or I see that you know that they don't, they didn't really come for that. I really should respect that. Now, you might say, Pastor, that almost sounds like you're compromising. No, listen to me, my friend. I'm telling you. This is doing unto others as you want done unto you. Now, if you want to give them an invitation, we should just say exactly on that invitation what we're going to do. Let's not say, come get a free dinner. What we should put on that invitation is, I'm going to teach you about hell, fire, and eternal damnation for an hour, and I'm going to tell you how you're going there. Now, if they still want to come as they would come to Jesus, then so be it. Amen. Shikaboomba. That's revival. But if they don't want to come, then we know that that giving them food and then throwing that on them is the wrong way to do it. I hope somebody's getting my point here. Okay, so what have we covered here? We covered Matthew 25 does not refer to the lost. It's not in the context of evangelism. It's in the context of the end times and taking care of God's uh, Christ's brothers and sisters, which are his church. We then looked at Luke 6.32, which gives us the statement of giving and to, to take care of our enemies, to do even nice things to them. But we know that there's a context to that. And we know that even when we give to them, we're not supposed to expect anything in return. So this has nothing to do with evangelism. This is just being kind to people. When we have things to give and we're led by the Spirit, we should do those things. And then we've just studied here in Luke 14 that we are to uh, have feasts and invite people over. But once again, not in the context of evangelizing them, but in the context of just being kind to them and, and loving them. Okay, so here we have that example. Now, if you uh, have, have gotten this far, and you've already been with me about an hour, and this is going to be more like a college lecture, so it's going to probably be about an hour and 50 minutes altogether, another 50 minutes to an hour left. Um, if you've come with me this far, then you're, you're pretty much getting the point, and, and you're probably on the line that I'm on right now because you're, you're, you're seeing it and you're getting there. But just for those that have come this far and really you're still not getting it, let me just give you now a very simple challenge. And I really wish you were here with me. You know, I love to do this. I love to, to really get feedback. But let me just ask the rhetorical question here, and uh, you answer it where you are. And if you have the answer, please email it to me. Can you show me how you do what you do for evangelism in 
the Bible? Can you show me with the Bible what you do? Let's just say you're not really following all of this. You're saying, well, I still want to do X, Y, and Z. Well, show me in the Bible where they did X, Y, and Z. If I really misunderstood Matthew 25 and really were supposed to do this, well, then show me where the disciples did this. Show me where Paul did this. Show me where Paul went around, uh, you know, bringing in homeless people that were sinners and idolaters. Show me where, where, where uh, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, went around and just said, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy houses and land and give it all away. Just show me where, where Jesus did that. Now, immediately, you realize what you're doing cannot be found explicitly in the Bible. And that's my point. Even if you won't go that far to call it bribing, let's just give some good, maybe a little bit less offensive terms to those who can't see it the way I do. Because, by the way, the biggest one that was doing it was me. So, I mean, if I'm talking to anybody, I'm talking to me. I consider it bribing people what I did. I'm ashamed of it. I want to change. God be the glory. The word will not return void. I know all of that. But I'm just saying I'm not going to have a woman sit in the hot sun for three hours to watch me draw a $50 gift card again. I'm not going to send out an intern who wants to preach the gospel to do, uh, you know, carnival for Jesus. And uh, I'm certainly not going to go out handing out flyers saying I want to give you free school supplies and feed you when really at the end of the day I want to preach to them and cast the demons out of them. Okay? But let me just say this. If you're saying to yourself, well, you know, Jesus said love the poor and give to the poor and you know, Jesus did these things. You've got to understand the context of how he did those things. Take, for example, when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, there was poor people all around. Jesus didn't start giving them money. He healed them. Now, you might say to yourself, well, there he goes. He, he does healings for them, and people came for the miracles. Well, that's actually part of the gospel. Jesus said, go and Preach the gospel, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. You see, that's the biblical mandate. That's actually the part of the gospel that, that the people need to see that's supernatural, that shows the message is right. You see, but anybody can give a free pony away. Anybody can give a free T-shirt. Like I said, we see this in advertising all the time. You raise the dead, even if they do come for the wrong reason, at least they're acknowledging something. There's a God. I mean, that's the first step here. They're, they're coming to a basketball tournament. They don't have to acknowledge that. And that's why when they rejected him after even he did those miracles, he had those long woes to them. Well, of course, and you had all these miracles, and it's going to be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. But going back to the question, where, where can you show me Jesus did what you did, you know, or do? I think of the church, you know, that has this big festival in, in, our, in our park here. Now, show me where Jesus did that. Show me where Jesus had a festival. Show me where the disciples did that. Now, some of you might start thinking of some of these things that are, are, are mentioned in the Bible, like the widows that were taken care of. But I want you to see this. Let's start with the first biblical mandate, uh, James chapter 1, uh, verse 27. Let's start with why we should take care of widows and how that's done here. And let's just look at this. This is going to blow some of you away. I love Jesus. hope that you see this and you enjoy this. Look at uh, James chapter 1, verse 26. It says, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, his religion is worthless. Look at verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
So what is our God considered true religion? Taking care of orphans and widows. Amen. And while we find this in the book of Acts, that there's actually a feeding program for the Greek widows and for the Hebrew widows. So there, there, there's no doubt or confusion that the church took care of widows. But, but hold on here. Is this the type of ministry that we see in our food banks? Well, let's find out here. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And you, what you're going to see here is that they actually had a list of requirements that the people had to fulfill to be on the list that were given food. How I think about this is, is there's some missions that will take anybody in, but Teen Challenge has a strict requirement of who they take in, and it's 100% a Christian program. And you look at the success rate between Teen Challenge, which is about 70%, to all these other programs, which is about 30%, it's not even comparable. Why? Because they put such a high demand on those people, even though they're homeless and on drugs. They say, you come here, you're not just coming for the night, man. You've got to come here and stay a year. You're going cold turkey. We don't do methadone. We we don't, we don't let you smoke cigarettes. We don't let you curse. We don't even let you watch rated R movies or, or, or have a lot of caffeine or even drink pop. We're going to cut you off. And they make them pray every morning. They make them work. Now, you ask yourself the question, is it successful because of those reasons? Absolutely, because God blesses the, the way that Teen Challenge sets up its list. Now, looking at the widows here, did they just go out and give food to anybody? We'll look at First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. It says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. So there can be people who are really not in need. But if a woman, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first of all learn to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. So it says, man, if the widow has family, you better go back to the family. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Well, that doesn't sound like the widows I'm helping out. This widow here is supposed to be praying night and day. Come on, somebody. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. So here, you know, Paul is not even really seem to have all this compassion like how we think we're supposed to have. He's saying, man, if that widow is still living for herself, she's really dead. Now, I think about all the widows and women that I've helped in the projects. Man, they're getting food stamps. They're getting all this welfare. And I come out there and I feel pity for them. And I give all this to them. But Paul is saying, man, they're, they're really dead. I really shouldn't be doing that. Now watch. I'm going to show you where he says that. Uh, verse 7, give the people these instructions to that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and worse than unbelievers. You better take care of your family. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 9. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60. So now look right here. Here Paul gives us a list to how to do true religion. James says true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Now, we don't have an orphan list in the Bible, but I'm sure there was a list. And, and I'm not saying we've got to have a, an exact list of how we help people. I'm just saying when we do help people, there needs to be some type of list. There needs to be some way of giving stuff to the needy, even though they're Christians, that needs to be a way that it's fruitful. Now, especially... For those that are not Christians or are not obedient, we need to be very careful on how we use the church's money, not to be wasting it. But once again, 
even though I'm going over this scripture because I'm trying to clarify the people who use these scriptures as I did, none of this has anything to do with evangelism. These are all different in their own context. And this specific context is giving to widows who are Christians. Look at what it says. As for younger widows, do not put them on or excuse me, verse 9, no widow may be put on the list unless she's over 60. So she's got to be over 60. She had to be faithful to her husband, verse 10, is well known for her good deeds, number 3, such as bringing up children, 4, showing hospitality, 5, washing the feet of the saints, 6, helping those in trouble, number 7, uh, devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. That's what you've got to do to be on the list. Okay? So what if you and I said, okay, with our food banks and our food drives, that's what you've got to do to be on the list. You've got to join our financial aid class. You've got to be accountable. You've got to become a member of this church. You've got to be a disciple. You have to do boom, 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 boom. Now you might say, well, pastor, once again, that's not the Good Samaritan. Well, once again, the Good Samaritan, A, is not evangelizing, and B, the Good Samaritan is not going out saying, this is what I do to try to, uh, to convince people of Christianity, or this is not the, the way that I do it to try to make somebody be a Christian. He's just saying, man, I took care of the guy. Now, man, if you see somebody laying on the streets that's hurting, as I have, some of you haven't. I've actually been on the streets. I've seen people drunk, passed out, literally in the middle of the street, pick them up, call the police, get them in a place, and I'll take care of them. And I brought over 30 homeless people into my house, you know. And I just had a missionary stay with me for about a week, and she was supposed to stay a day because her papers weren't in. And man, I mean, I love doing kind things for people. But what this is talking about is when you want to have a regular support system for people, you want to go out regularly. You need to have some type of list to do it in a way that's beneficial and a way that will help the people. As I like to say, not a hand out, but a hand up. Okay, so let's go on now to another scripture. And this one now is going to be about uh, our last one of just clarifying what we are not to do. Okay, just what we're not to do. And then we're going to get into biblical evangelism. And then I'm just going to talk a little bit about the end on how just to do these type of good things for people. And not that we're stingy and not that we don't take care of the poor, but how to do it in a way that glorifies God. Okay. If you look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, you see one of the most simplest scriptures around. Uh, for, if we, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay, if a man doesn't work, he shall not eat. Well, I began to think about all the people that I give away food to, you know, the majority of them, these homeless people are sometimes living better than the average working man. I mean, I mean that seriously. Sometimes these guys will make $100 a day panhandling. That's $700 a week. Some of them live in under bridges, and they have so much clothes. I remember one time going out to Lower Wacker Drive around here, seeing these homeless guys, and I'm thinking to myself, man, these guys are living in their house like it's like walking up to somebody else's house and witnessing to them and and i began to wonder is this the right way to try to minister to them try to give them blankets and all this to encourage them to really stay on the streets and i always felt uncomfortable with that because i've always thought to myself how unsafe that is how many crimes are committed how many of them are mentally unstable they say so many a percentage of them have schizophrenia and uh, you know i live in a city where they come to my window all of the time and, and i began to think about 
about how rebellious so many of them are, just full of anger and how, you know, we try to talk to them and sometimes they're so angry. And we, man, we've even cast the devil out of sun, seen demons leave, but yet they'll still stay on the streets. It's almost like you've got to pay them to want to leave, uh, to get out of the street. Well, you, you know, I began to ask myself, you know, is this the way Jesus did it? Is this the way the apostles did it? And uh, recently, you know, I've really just began looking over these scriptures, and I came across this one again, and I wanted to see what somebody else said. I've read from you, uh, you know, John Gill. I'm going to read to you uh, from Matthew 25. I want to read to you Adam Clark, an old Methodist pastor, the next guy in line after John Wesley. I want you to hear what he said about a man, if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. He says, men who can work and rather support themselves by begging should not get one morsel of bread. It is a sin to minister to necessities that are merely artificial. He says it's a sin to minister to these necessities that are merely artificial, meaning there are so many people that are begging in this society, and so many ministries like myself have really said I want to reach out to them, but really not only have I uh, not done it the best way, I've actually been sinning. It says if a man does not work, he does not eat. Now, how often have we taught the people that we're giving them a food and drink and all of these? How many of them have we taught to actually get a job? Uh, I believe at this point, for those that are homeless and that, that can, you know, get off the streets. As a matter of fact, all of them can get off. I believe our word should be go to Teen Challenge. Get up and go to Teen Challenge. And honestly, I believe for them to even consider that, they have to get saved. And hence, we need to do biblical evangelism. They don't need a hot dog. They need demons cast out. They need the gospel explained to them. Well, pastor, if I give them a hot dog, then they'll listen to me. No, they won't. They'll still do what they're going to do. They may say a prayer, they may cry a tear, but they'll still do what they're going to do. You'll never find one time in the Bible where they preach that way. You never see Paul doing it, Peter doing it. Well, let's give them something to eat first, then let's preach to them. Let's go to Samaria, Philip, and let's throw a barbecue, then let's preach to them. No, no, no. And even the, the Muslims communities, and I don't agree with them because I think they're very stingy and, and, and hurtful towards their own people, obviously. But they say right now, and toward, you know, towards our church growth so rapidly in Africa, they're saying, you know, we're abusing and prosle- I mean, uh, exploiting the poor people because we're making them become Christians to go to our orphanages and eat our food. Well, the first thing is, is they do nothing but bring damnation and, and, and hurt to their people, so they have no right to talk. But number two, there's partly truth in that because how much of our, our, our giving to people is, is, is the one thing that draws them to Jesus, and if we don't give, they don't come. Now, the Bible says that that type of attitude is not going to make it on Judgment Day. That type of person is actually not going to heaven. So just in review of everything we've learned, Matthew 25 is not speaking about evangelism. It's talking about taking care of the body of Christ. Luke 6.32 is giving righteously and acting as the way Christ told us to act. And has nothing to do with evangelism. Luke 14.12 talks about having a feast and not expecting anything returned, just blessing people with food and absolutely talks nothing about evangelism. And then when we talk about taking care of widows and the poor, we're, we, we've learned uh, that that's true religion. But also Paul tells us there's a, there's a 
list and there should be a requirement and that some people are not going to be on that list and we shouldn't feel bad about that. And then we've learned that if people can work, that, the, that if they have no food, that that's good because it's supposed to actually teach them the principle that if they don't work, they don't eat, and that that is supposed to drive them towards getting something, uh, getting a job so that they can eat. Now that we've learned what biblical evangelism isn't, are you ready to learn what biblical evangelism is? If you're ready, somebody say amen and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, the last scripture for the day. And I'm going to read um, the whole passage here that we're given uh, for this this subject here. Jesus sending out the 12. It's it's about uh, 42 verses. Hang in here with me. This is why I did this late at night. Cleared my schedule. Hopefully you did. If you got to make it or two or three part to remember where you stop and come back and listen to it. But here we go. Here now is Jesus teaching biblical evangelism. Jesus, help us do it the way you did it and the way you taught your disciples to do it. Lord, I want to be like you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So what does he do? He makes disciples. Now he sends them out to preach. That's why our vision is connect, mentor, send. We're going to connect people to the cross. We're going to teach them the cross, and we're going to send them out with the cross. Come on, somebody. You've got to learn to be like Christ. He didn't say he sent out 12 Christians, 12 church members, 12 believers. He sent out disciples. They were disciplined. They were people who had walked with him and studied their master Jesus, and he gave those authority. He didn't give them a plan to organize a concert or a food outing. He gave them authority to drive out spirits and to heal, heal every sickness and disease. Here are their names. Verse 2, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instruction. Here they are. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter, enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, once again, that's what I was telling you at the very beginning. Here are those specific instructions for this time. It would be like a coach saying in the basketball court, we're not going to run full court today, guys. We're going to play half court. We know in Matthew 28, he tells them to go into the whole world. At this part in time, this, this place in time, he's saying, just go to the Gentiles. I understand that this context has to do with the very specific mission they were on, but his instruction were to be taken literally in many other places of the content of their message and the way they do their message. And as you see throughout the whole Bible, they always did it that way, okay? So you get the point. In Matthew 28, they were able to go to the whole world. But when they went to the whole world, they still followed the rest of these instructions, which are, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we know that that is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We see that in another part, I believe, in Luke, where Luke refers to that whole context, and he says, repent. And we know that Jesus preached repentance. So even though it's not there in this part of the verse, we know that it's there. And we see that the message of the disciples, I think I, I, I went through, I know I went through every one of them, but I think it was 16 messages in the book of Acts that the apostles preached. And it's never mentioned, Jesus loves the world, I love you, you love me, we're all a happy family. No. It's mentioned like over like eight times repent, you know, a matter of fact, I'm going to do a word search for you right now just so you can see how many times love is not found any times in the book of Acts. But let's see how many times the word repent or repentance is found in the book of Acts. 
It is found 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It is found 10 times in the book of Acts. That was their message. Why you repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to what he says. Preach that message. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Okay, there we go, man. If he would have told us to give away Barbie dolls on Christmas, I would have done it. But he's, you know, I would still want to do it. But he didn't say that. He says, freely you have received, freely give. Now, what is he talking about there? The power and the authority. You might be saying, no, Pastor, what he means is freely give food. Well, look at verse 9. He says, don't take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic. Sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his keep. So right there we get the very context of what it means freely you receive, freely give. That's not really a scripture talking about giving monetarily. What that is saying is you have an anointing. Now give it away. If we are truly baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire and we have the same Holy Ghost that the disciples had and Jesus had upon him, we should give it away with signs and wonders. Hallelujah. He then says, don't take the gold, don't take the silver. Don't take a bag of goodies. Don't take the barbecue grill. Don't take the clothes. Don't don't take the the Christian wrap. Don't take all of those things. Just bring yourself with the anointing. And then if you're going to eat, if you're going to have those things, people are actually going to give that to you. Isn't that kind of funny? They're actually going to give stuff to you. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. Okay, so they're actually supposed to look for somebody to bring them in. See, this changes the context real quick. See, I go out to the doctor block. I come there for a couple of hours. I'm going to give them a whole bunch of stuff, go back home. Imagine this. How about we drop off, uh, you know, you drop me off there with only the clothes on my back, no wallet. And now you say, hey, son, I'm going to come back and get you in a week, okay? you got to stay here. Well, guess what? I can't bribe them anymore with what I have. I'm going to get kind of scared at night. What am I going to do? I'm going to start casting out some devils, man. I'm going to get somebody saved and say, man, can I come to your house? And you know what it's teaching us right here is that we shouldn't be telling people, you know, we're going to do all this and all this and all that for you to get saved. We should be telling people, you should be doing all this and all that and all that to get saved. You know, you should be letting us in your house. It's that important. Man, you should be cooking us a dinner. I'm not saying that we should be coming out being greedy to pimp the people i'm just saying like man when we knock on somebody's door it shouldn't be like let me bribe you with this dinner for you to come out here for me to preach to you it should be it's that good man let me come on in here and you cook some ribs for me come on it says as you enter the home verse 12 give it your greeting this is uh, all coming from matthew 10 verse 12 as you enter the home give it your greeting verse 13 if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it if not let your peace return to you if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet, and when you leave, when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Okay? We're not going out here and everybody's going to like us. Man, you're going to get in some trouble out here. Okay? Now, I haven't known anybody really to get in trouble for having their little food giveaway and for their little basketball tournament, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? You, when you start preaching the repentance and you start casting out devils and you don't have nothing to give away people, you know, you know, this social gospel can make a lot of friends with aldermen's and governors. You know, oh, I like what the church does because it does all that. But the moment you start preaching a gospel of repentance, you might start offending people. Hallelujah. Look at verse 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. 
hello, somebody, this is not, hey, let's go out and have a party. And I'm telling you, I've done Holy Ghost parties out in the community. Jesus is saying, man, this is not going to be a party. Here's his instructions, people. Now, once again, I know this was, you know, this was training. They didn't do everything they were going to do. But do you see a lot of these principles following them the rest of their life? Do you see them having to be on guard the rest of their life? Do you see them having to stay in people's homes the rest of their traveling ministry? Do you see them preaching the gospel with signs and wonders following? Come on. Do you ever see them giving away stuff to make people join the church? When Ananias and Sapphira actually Sapphira gave stuff to the church, but it wasn't their tithe, what happened to them they died you don't play with this be on your guard against men they'll hand you over to local councils and flog you in your synagogues hey you want to go evangelizing get ready to get flogged don't get ready to have children run up to you and say i love you face painting get ready to get flogged on my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the gentiles but when they arrest you don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say at that time you'll be given what to say for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death, a father his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is not what I was ready for, Jesus. Could you imagine me telling this in front of everybody at Mardi Gras? Okay, forget the, you know, the basketball for Jesus, forget the food, forget the clothes for the homeless, because they're just wanting to get drunk out there anyway. They have no business being out there. Forget all of that. What we're going to do is we're going to preach, and here's the good part. You're going to get hated by all men, and your own family might turn against you when you're out there. But if you'll stand to the end, you'll be saved. So not only are you going to suffer going out there, Christianity is going to get a lot more harder for you being out there. It's going to get a lot harder for you as you go out preaching. Oh, come on, somebody. Verse 24, it's not even halfway done yet. You need to hang on. What's just a little bit halfway done? Uh, it says, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Verse 25, it is, is it enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the house? So you're going to run into some devil-worshiping people, whether they call themselves Satanists or not, because they live just like the devil. Verse 26, don't be afraid of them. Amen. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who cannot... Or the, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And even the very uh, sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very heads of your uh, hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth many, um, worth more than many more sparrows. Now listen, right here we've taken this scripture out of context. Oh, he has his eye on the sparrow. He has his eye on me. And we're thinking, you know, I can't pay my bills. I'm going through a hard time. But he even knows the little hairs on my head. My friends, this is not talking about you going through a struggle in life. This is talking about the biblical evangelizer going out preaching biblically. And they're being set on fire. As we know, the early church was, I mean, Nero put people on stakes, lined the roads with them, and put gasoline on them, tar, and set them on fire and 
lit the roads to Rome. Are you listening to me in that time, in that place of persecution? Do not give up. Do not fear them because they may kill your body, but they won't destroy your soul. And when you fall, if God keeps his eye on a sparrow, he'll keep his eye on you when you fall. And every one of those hairs that get touched and burned and fall out, he knows every one of them. You're worth more than sparrows to him. That's what it's saying, my friends, in the midst of persecution. Get ready to lay down your life because he's with you. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, disowns me before men, I'll disown him before my Father in heaven. Look at verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring a carnival to the earth. I didn't come to bring that. He says, I came not to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Are you getting this? Are you still listening to me? This is the sermon I came to preach, somebody. This is called called biblical evangelism. Look how Christ defines this. He's telling them all this so he can say, now go out and do it. Go out and do it the way I did it. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. But I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to tear apart the wheat from the chaff. Come on. He says when you go, you go with signs and wonders. Now we do. Do we know that people got saved and get saved? Absolutely. And that's our treasure and our reward in heaven. But don't we also know we'll be persecuted and we didn't come to have a carnival he said i didn't come to be in the park like you know like a festival i came to preach a word that would cause the devil himself to get mad that's what he's talking about i came to set mother against father i mean mother against daughter father against son come on Verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. How do you preach to him? That's how you preach to him, just like I'm preaching to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, son, I'm telling you this, Peter. Now you go out and tell them that. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, are you telling me that Jesus would have played around with the Pin the nail, pin the beard on Moses, games and tricks. Hello. He's saying to him right here, man, you're not even worthy of me unless you're willing to die on a cross. You know what that would be saying? That would be like saying to people right now, you want to get, be a Christian? Yes, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to hell. Well, are you worthy? Are you, are you willing to go to the electric chair for Jesus right now? That's what the cross was back then. That was a form of execution. He says, if, you're, if they're not willing to go to the cross for me, they're not worthy of me. Oh, I don't know if I'll do that. Well, do you want to get? Do you want to follow Jesus? Yeah, I won't follow Jesus. Are you willing to forsake your mother and father and brother and sister and everything in your life? I ain't just talking about alcohol. I'm talking about forsaking everything. Oh, I don't know about that. Come on, somebody, let's get real with this thing. If you want your life, you got to lose it. I mean, if you want eternal life, you got to lose this life. Look at verse 40. Praise God, I feel the Holy Ghost. He who receives you receives me. And who and, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. 
Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these, these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So in this context of biblical evangelism, who is the one really giving stuff away? It's the people giving their material stuff to us as we are giving them the anointing. And the Bible says when those little junior hires go out with us preaching and somebody says to them, hey, man, can I buy you something to drink? The Bible says when they do that, they get a prophet's reward because that man, that young young uh, girl or guy is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is biblical evangelism. Go out and preach. Preach repentance. Don't bring anything with you. Go from house to house, town to town. Find somebody worthy of it. Then stay with them. Preach to them. When you're persecuted, endure to the end. Don't think that it's something strange when you face fiery trials. He keeps his eye on you. You're worth more than a sparrow. He numbers the hairs on your very head. And when you preach the gospel, tell them to forsake all for him because he is the pearl of great price. He's worth it all. My friends, when we do charitable giving, how should we do it? Here's how I think we should do it. I don't think we should mix it with evangelism because I think it confuses people and it gives them a sense of guilt. I think that we should should go out and preach with the intent of converting and bringing people to Christ and knowing that we will suffer for it. That's what evangelism should be. But when we go out and take care of people, how should we do it? We should do it first for the body of Christ and those who are not begging, but just those that are in need. And we should be able to help them not only get the financial things or clothes that they need, but empower them with knowledge and wisdom, with job training and, and, and financial training so they don't get stuck in that rut. And we should help our children go to school and live productive lives. And, and when we preach the gospel biblically and people are on the streets, we should teach them that now as a disciple that they should get off the streets and live a disciplined life and learn to work so that they can eat and bring them to places like Teen Challenge that will teach them that. And, and when we give feasts in our home or whether it is in our church, we, we should do it with the intent of just being kind to people. And if we are going to preach in those meetings, we should tell them at the very onset, we are going to preach to you. And if you want to go, you can go, but the meal is not dependent upon that. We don't expect you to stay just for that. And when we do good to people and we give even unto our enemies, we should do it being led of the Lord, as the Bible teaches us in Second Corinthians, not under guilt or or under compulsion because we feel we have to, but because we do it cheerfully. And if we see, like the Good Samaritan, someone in need, we don't have to ask them what religion they are and, and, and find ourselves in the same sin of the Pharisee who turned his nose up at him for his own religious reasons. No, we should truly help the Good Samaritan being led of the Lord. And when we adopt orphans, we should bring them into our home and treat them as our family. And when we take care of widows, we should make lists and do it right. 
Have I helped anybody here today? Biblical evangelism is not bribing people. And we can still be kind to this city. How am I going to do the the acts of kindness in our church? I'm going to set up as much as I can a little community center eventually. That's my goal for 2009. And, and I want to have after-school programs, and I want to do it in a Christian sense. I want people to know it's a Christian program, and I want them to understand there will be Bible study there. But I'm not going to make those young people come to my youth group, and I'm not going to make the adults that come to the uh, U.S. citizen class and those things come to the church. We're going to let them know that this is our gift to them. And we'll do it responsibly. And we'll do it with the, with the first intent of the Christian. And then secondly, for our community as a good Samaritan. We'll do the Matthew 25 for the body of Christ. And we'll make sure that we also do the good Samaritan work. But when we tell them about Christ, we want to make sure, as Finney said, they're not distracted. We'll say, after they've eaten, do you want to hear now about Jesus? This is who he is. And we'll preach to them without no holds bars. And when we invite them to our services, we won't say, oh, well, because you came to our our community center, now you must come to our service. No, we won't expect them to do that. We'll hope that Christ would compel them to come to our church, not because we bribed them, but because they saw Christ in us. But I won't expect that from them, and I won't turn away from them if they don't. And so we want to have a community center that's, that's designed to do that. But what we need to do, first of all, is learn biblical evangelism. If you've learned something today and you know that God is speaking to you, would you just prepare yourself in prayer right now as I just get ready to pray over you, to pray over those in my congregation uh, that God has entrusted me with, those of you who have taken time, to listen to this message, those of you who wanted to really grasp this even more, some of you in the Bible class and and maybe visitors, and you've been really wanting to understand the frustration of, of evangelism the way we've been doing it, and now you truly want to do it the right way, and you're seeing that our church is growing. This is what I want us to do today. I want us just to seek God and just say, Jesus, help us. Lord, forgive us if we've put things before your biblical mandate. Lord, help us to do it your way. Jesus, I pray for an anointing of true evangelism to be freely given to everyone here listening. To everyone here that truly wants the anointing, the Bible says it's freely given. The first thing he said to the disciples is, I give this to you, this authority. So, Lord, I pray for those that just want to do it right. God, I pray that you just begin to freely give your anointing. Give it to us, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We receive it. Oh, God, we know that you love people. We know that you love the world. That's not what's in question today. 
But God, how you demonstrate that love, God, is something we need to learn. Metro Praise needs to learn. Joe needs to learn. I need to learn. And God, many people listening to me, they need to learn. God, they need to learn how to just preach. Just leave the bags at home. Leave the tunics at home. Leave the money, silver and gold at home. And just bring the anointing. And give it away. Give it away. Jesus, we want to give it away. Give it away. Jesus, give it to us. So we can give it away. I want to give it away, Jesus. I don't want to give away the things of this world. I don't want to use the idols of people's hearts to try to give them you, God, that will fail in the end. I don't want to use the world to give them Jesus. I just want to give them Jesus. I just want to give them you, Lord. You sent your Holy Spirit on Pentecost with power demonstration of power. Paul said he neglected everything but the cross. Just because there's power in the cross, there's nothing like the cross. There's resurrection power in the cross. Jesus anoint us again with that authority.